0: Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, Brad Kearns here, host of the Primal Endurance Online Mastery Course. It's finally launched. We're so excited to share it with you. Let's hear what Lindsay Taylor has to say about it. Be on the lookout for upcoming announcements about the Primal Endurance Mastery Course that we will be releasing very soon. I just had a chance to preview it and it is going to be so rad, you guys. And I'm not just saying that because I am one of the featured experts. I am really excited about it. Brad did an amazing job with this. It's going to be such a great resource for people who want to dive really deep into the concepts covered in the Primal Endurance book and in the podcasts. It's really amazing, you guys. I'm super stoked about it. Welcome to the show. Host Brad Kearns working our way through the Primal Endurance book. And now we're on to the the good stuff, the recovery tips, part two. So much to talk about here. We'll probably do this into three shows. And we're going to start out by talking about um, compression gear. You know, those funny-looking socks that you might not have tried, but have definitely seen them around. People are actually doing their workouts and races wearing the compression socks, and they're also good to wear uh, off the off the race course, off the workout scene, and during your recovery time, even during your sleeping hours, uh, when we're talking about the socks, and what they do is they have a positive effect, an enhancing effect on the lymphatic system, clearing waste products out of your tired muscles. So I'm going to uh, do some excerpts from the book here to set it up properly. The compression gear, such as tight socks or wraps of other kinds, uh, they make them for the arms and um, you can do even compression tights. But the socks especially, I think the lower extremities there that get inflamed and also take some impact trauma... When it comes to impact sports like running or basketball, um, that's why they're so good to wear during the event. But what they do is they enhance the ability of the lymphatic and circulatory systems in clearing out the extracellular waste products and excess fluid that accumulate in tired muscles after strenuous workouts. Compression garments or wraps act like pumps to squeeze blood vessels open with force, allowing more blood and oxygen into the area to remove waste and excess fluid the pumping act is greatly enhanced when it's combined with elevation of the traumatized area above the heart. So if you want to be a recovery superstar, um, get on the couch, put a few pillows up, and then throw your legs up on top of the pillow so that your legs are above your heart and have the compression gear on. And boy, you can tell, uh, tell your coach, tell your teammates that you're training while you're home, watching TV and enjoying yourself. But as we're going to learn shortly, compression's great, the compression gear, um, but nothing's better for recovery than movement. But back to compression, Um, it's greatly enhanced when combined with elevation of the subject areas above the heart, and also with movement while wearing the garment. So you can watch your TV shows with your legs up elevated, and then get out and take your dog for a walk in the evening, and then you're really doing well after that sprint workout in the morning. Um, A post-workout recovery strategy might be to plunge in a cold river or some cold body of water for a few minutes, throw on some compression socks, hang your feet on the edge of the couch, and then take those frequent breaks in the ensuing hours. Many elite athletes will keep their compression socks on overnight or especially when traveling on an airplane to counter the high risks of edema, that's fluid pooling in the extremities, during those long flights. So that's what I definitely use mine for when I'm flying. I'll put the compression socks on. Um, And I'm now experimenting more with using them during running because on the impact sports, you get a little bit of micro trauma to the muscles with each foot strike. So if your muscles are contained and have some sort of a brace to act against the compression sock, there's some good science that says uh, this might lessen the post-exercise muscle soreness. Um, There's also some studies that show diminished fatigue when sprinting um, reduced muscle damage when they're testing, uh, creatine kinase levels after, uh, difficult workouts, improved power output. And all this stuff, uh, is fine and dandy. And I think you can do a study showing anything. Um, but if the benefits are more psychological than physical, they're still important. They're still relevant. The placebo effect is a big deal. So if you like to put on your socks and you feel like you, um, uh, it feels better in your legs, uh, especially, noticing how you recover, um, that's great. Now, they're going to be most effective when they're used furthest away from the heart. So compression socks is probably um, the number one choice to try out. And you might see when you're ordering online or perhaps on the label of the sock, um, they have a rating, a pressure rating, and that's uh, a scale of how strong the compression is. So if you can get something up to uh, the recommendations that uh, we... Discovered for researching the book. Um, Get them in the pressure range of 22 to 32 mmHg is the measurement. So if you can see something that says, I look on Amazon, I find different different brands, and it says 25 or something like that. So uh, get one up there. You'll get a real effect. And then if it's a lower number, it won't be as tight. uh, Might not be as feeling as constricting. Might just feel like a normal sock. So I'd try to get a, a high-pressure one and see if you can really um, you know, determine the impact. Uh, the next item on the list is hydration. So this is a really complex subject now. Um, even for Primal Blueprint, the evolution of the message has been tremendous because um, astute readers will recall in the first Primal Blueprint, we addressed the topic of hydration uh, using that evolutionary rationale, the grok, the caveman rationale that uh, said that, look, humans are really good at um, having a thirst mechanism and honoring that. So, if you're thirsty, you drink, and it's really simple. Um, You will not over-drink, just noticing with uh, common sense uh, when you're fully hydrated and you don't feel like drinking more, and you'll avoid this disastrous modern problem. Um, Hopefully, you're aware of it in the endurance scene, but Um, There was a rash of hyponatremia incidents in long-distance running in the marathons where there were several fatalities, um, and a lot of people sent to the hospital because they were told, uh, you know, novices mostly were told by coaches or some resource to drink and drink and drink as much as you possibly can so you don't get dehydrated while you're running a marathon. And in many cases, they overdrank to the point of throwing off the critical sodium hydration balance in the body. And so when you get critically low on sodium, you can pass out, you can go into a coma, and you can die. And it did happen on many occasions where the hyponatremia condition uh, was fatal. Um, Dr. Timothy Nooks uh, writes an entire book about this subject called Waterlogged. Um, So it's a very serious matter to not overhydrate during uh, athletic activity or at any time. Radio station water drinking contests were the other uh, trouble here where they are victims trying to drink as much water in a short time. There's also some fraternity hazing, isolated incidents where um, excess water can be fatal just as much as excess alcohol. Be sensible, never overhydrate, but on the other end of the continuum, when we talked about just obeying your thirst, that was a little bit too breezy of a recommendation, especially when we're talking to athletes in the uh, training realm where you're doing vigorous workouts or you're doing a pattern of sustained uh, high-level training, high weekly uh, volume, hourly output. And in these cases, you have to have somewhat of a strategic approach to hydration. What I mean by that is you can anticipate the um, the eventualities of becoming dehydrated and possibly becoming dehydrated over a time period where you don't even notice it. It's not an acute incident of dehydration. Uh, such as a long, hot training run and your water bottle or a bike ride and your water bottle fell off your bike or you didn't notice a leak and you reached for it and then you had to go two more hours and boy, oh boy, was that tough. I'm talking more about a chronic underhydration where the workout patterns are catching up to you or the work patterns. If you're out there laying bricks or working on roofs all summer and it's hot, and you're trying to drink throughout the day, and you're surviving up on the roof, but you got the adrenaline flowing, and you're focused on a peak performance task, and then you get home that night and you don't feel so well. And that's happened to me many times where there's a delayed onset of the adverse symptoms of dehydration. So you're riding along just fine. I remember an epic ride that I did with Johnny G, my former training partner, Uh, the creator of the Spinning Indoor Exercise Program and Race Across America Finisher. And we did a 200-mile bike ride from Los Angeles to Santa Barbara and back to Los Angeles, longest I'd ever ridden in my life. It was a life-changing experience because it recalibrated my notion of what a long bike ride meant. Because as a triathlete, I was doing mostly Olympic distance circuit, 40K bike ride, that's 24 miles. And a 100-mile ride was like the benchmark for me and my boys that... You know, you're putting in a really long ride and doing that great over-distance training to be competent at 40K time trial. Well, for Johnny, um, training for the race across America, he routinely would ride his bike all day long and even into the next night so that he would get a 24-hour practice session and put in two, 250, 300, 350 miles. So doing a 200-mile ride was kind of us meeting in the middle, us training partners to uh, put in an appropriate workout. And I remember sitting there at lunch in Santa Barbara at the 100-mile point, and we're having a nice lunch. We finally got off the bike to stretch, get some good food in our bodies, and I realized, oh my gosh, you know, this is usually the finish of my long rides, and we had to ride our bikes all the way back home. And, oh my gosh, we felt great in the final 18 miles. We were racing down the Pacific Coast Highway Just couldn't wait to get home. There's so much blood pumping in your legs and your nervous system is so calibrated toward pedaling that you can actually get stronger and feel more enthusiastic as the hours go on. I think the ketones were probably, you know, fired up in my body and I had great energy and steady focus and concentration. So we were just pounding that final 18 miles. And I got home, I felt fine, waved goodbye to Johnny. He had like 12 more miles to go to get to his house. Um... And then I just, you know, walked around, got a few more bites to eat, and then I laid down on the couch, and that's when things really started to hit me. And I, in very short succession, powered down four quarts of water, and I still felt dehydrated and uh, had all this uh, funny business going on where I didn't feel so good uh, throughout the night either. So the strategic approach to hydration, sorry for that long, fun story, but... Um, that's my memory of getting dehydrated without knowing it. Because again, while I was pedaling the bike and going 27 miles an hour at the end of a 200-mile ride, I felt fine. I was in that peak performance state with the stress hormones flowing in my bloodstream, and everything was functioning at high level. So the effects of dehydration were taking a while. But of course I was getting myself dehydrated with that kind of physical effort. So the strategic approach is that you can assume... Uh, in hot weather, hot circumstances, that you're going to have to hydrate in a focused manner, even if you're too busy or don't notice extreme thirst. Because by the time the thirst mechanism kicks in, this is from research from Dr. Heinz Valton, one of the world's leading researchers on kidney function and hydration. By the time you feel thirsty, you're already um, 2% dehydrated and Um, that change in blood volume can have an adverse peak performance effect. Um, 5% is when you start to get into the real serious symptoms where you have to stop exercising and you can do yourself a world of trouble. But you don't want to get to that point where you're already um, significantly or measurably dehydrated. So the strategic approach entails that you consume fluids over the course of steady physical output, such as roofing or doing long bike rides or long runs. Um, now, here's the thing that's um, adding some more nuance to it. And thanks to Dr. Kelly Starrett, K-Star, one of our expert guests on the Primal Endurance course, and someone he's in close association with, Dr. Stacy Sims, a researcher at Stanford University, really the cutting edge of the concept of hydration uh, being communicated by these two folks and other people in that game. Um, you want to have an electrolyte and sodium balance when you're hydrating. Because if you just slam water bottle after water bottle in the name of hydration, this is where you're going to bring in the risks of hyponatremia, of overdrinking. The overdrinking risk is due to the imbalance caused by excess fluid that's not in proper sodium balance. So if you can add a pinch of salt to every water bottle that you drink, um, then you're going to be Uh, calibrating to a proper sodium balance and alleviating those risks and also having a better chance of absorbing the fluid into the various tissues uh, throughout the body that require that hydration. Uh, In contrast, if you're just slamming down water, a lot of times what your body's going to want to do with this, and this is uh, kind of paraphrasing K-Star, and he talked about this in... There's a particular video in the Primal Endurance online course uh, labeled hydration from him... Um, your body's likely going to pee it out, especially if you slam a large quantity at one time. That's sort of a little bit offensive to the body. It's much better to sip strategically over the period of time of your workout. That's why the athletes come off the court and grab a, a sip of water, a few sips. That's why the bikers reach for their water bottle over and over and over rather than just slamming down a half a gallon at one time. Um, that will just be excreted more likely than absorbed. So when you're hydrating, you want to have a pinch of sodium. And it's also been shown, laboratory study, that a little bit of glucose will actually enhance the osmolality of the fluid in your digestive tract and allow you to absorb it uh, more efficiently than just straight liquid. Um, we're not talking about a uh, substantial amount. We're not talking about going up to that... Um, 7 to 10 to 12% solution that a lot of energy drinks uh, formulate. But in the old days, we were trying to um, nail this uh, 7% glucose solution and no more than that because any more sugar would compromise hydration. But the studies that were put out by uh, folks like Cytomax, where I used to work, um, that 7% was an optimal level where you're getting uh, a bit of sugar to sustain your workout Um, you're not compromising your hydration goals as you might with an orange juice because when you drink a liquid that has a lot of calories in it, you have to process those calories so the goals are being um, diverted from pure hydration goal to also uh, absorbing some sugar. Uh, We know in the primal endurance game and in the ketogenic uh, uh, approach to training that, that intense, desperate need for glucose calories during these prolonged workouts is greatly minimized when you're fat and keto adapted, so you can focus more on your hydration goals. So when we're talking, especially in this subject on this show, specifically about hydration, um, you want to, you know, not get up to a significantly high glucose solution but again a pinch a little squirt of honey Dr Maffetone talks about his homemade sports drink to save money you put a pinch of salt a squirt of honey you mix it in with 16 24 ounces of water and you have an efficient hydration vehicle so when you get finished with your workouts uh, in that post workout state you might be more attuned to your thirst mechanism than you were uh, during the time that you were exercising. And that's when we really want to take that strategic approach and just hydrate as a general rule after workouts. Let's say even if you're not thirsty, get a proper sodium mix solution, a little bit of glucose, uh, whatever if it's an electrolyte drink, and sip on that. Coconut water is touted as the world's ultimate natural energy drink because it does have a nice uh, comprehensive. Uh, list of minerals electrolytes and if you want to cut that with water if you're going keto or you're really concerned about your carb intake that's fine but just taking a coconut water uh, after workout as a general rule to work on that hydration is deservedly so one of the uh, attributes for uh, efficient recovery that's a nice little interval show so let's break it there And we'll keep talking about this important concept of recovery in future ones. Thanks for listening to the Primal Endurance Podcast. This is your host,
1: Brad Kearns. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of Primal Health Coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching, but have been held back by worries, such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching. And we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs Primal Health Coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love visit primalhealthcoach.com and subscribe.